Well, Lord in heaven, I, I thank you, Father, for the number of people who would purpose to rise early, to come, to make it a point, Father, to, um, to be here this morning. I thank you, Father, that we have a church that is fully committed, Lord, um, to caring well for kids and equipping parents. And, Father, there is no greater leadership challenge, Lord, than first and foremost leading ourselves well. And we recognize, Lord, the tremendous responsibility you've given us as parents, as dads and as moms, as husbands and wives. I pray, Father, that you would help our hearts to be fully attuned to what it is that you have for us this morning to learn. And, um, Father, I pray that some of us would walk away here that much more encouraged that what we're doing is, is um, exactly what we should be doing. But also pray, Lord, we'd be humble enough to learn where we could take ground as well. Thank you, Lord, that there are a number of people who I see um, right now who I know can stand up on this stage and, and certainly teach Rebecca and myself a whole lot and, um, and how encouraged we are by the uh, friends that we have that surround us who do a great job parenting. And um, Lord, I thank you for your word, how it's a, uh, just a, a lamp into our feet, how it truly does help us, Lord, Um, to know how to be better moms and dads. And I pray, Lord, for each of our kids. Our greatest prayer, Lord, is that our kids would come to know you from a young age and that, um, Father, it would be their heart's desire to want to please you and to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, um, my name is Blake Holmes, and um, I have truly the best job in the world. Because I get to work at this church, and um, I love this church. I love this body of believers. I love what I get to do day in and day out. And um, I feel like, you know, the Lord has, has blessed me with some, some gifts, and one of those is teaching. And so I was really honored when Kyle Kegler asked us to, uh, to teach. And then he made it really clear. Guess what, Blake? I really don't want you saying much at all. I'd rather them hear from Rebecca, your wife. So after at first I felt really affirmed in my gifts, he shot me down. And uh, this, for those of you who have not met my wife, this is Rebecca Holmes. We've been married for 13? 13 or 14 years. 13, 14 <laughs> long years. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's just gone by like that when you're having fun. And uh, so now really, how long have we been married? 13 or 14 years? I think 14. Yeah, me too. Stop counting after a while. But uh, no, truly, um, all jokes aside, really, Kyle just said, hey, um, Blake, it, it would be great for folks to hear just really what Rebecca has to say and, um, and just her perspective as a mom. And so I go, are you serious? He goes, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm really serious. So you just add color where you can, but let her, you know, drive the ship. So I, I, great with me. I said, Rebecca, you're, uh, you're on. Come Saturday morning. And so, look, we're just humble, gang. I really mean that when I, when I pray. We're just humbled um, by the fact that he would even ask us to be up here. And um, we're not, our time to, uh, this morning is not going to be just us talking to you the whole time. But we really think um, the way in which people are most effectively equipped is to interact with the information we're going to give you. And so we're going to give you a chance individually and as couples as we make our way through this um, to apply some of the things we're talking about. And let me just first start by just telling you this. 
if anybody ever tries to sell you the idea that to be a better mom or better dad or a better husband or a better wife or whatever it is, is found in some book out there or some tip or some technique, uh, man, they are, you're just being led down the wrong road. I, I told Rebecca, I said, the first thing I just want to say, and then I really am going to be quiet and let her talk and be true to my word to Kyle, but the first thing I want to tell you is, you cannot be God's man or God's woman um, as a mom, as a dad, a husband, as a wife, apart from an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, period. That's just fact. You want to be a better dad? Walk with Jesus. You want to be a better mom? Walk with Jesus Christ. And everything else will take care of itself. And so to the extent that you are yielding yourself to him and leading a life of godliness, that's just going to make you that much better as a mom or a dad. And to try to do this apart from Christ or to try to do this on your own strength or wisdom or some tip or technique that you read from a book, um, it's just going to fall short. And so with that caveat and saying that and assuming that that um, you guys know that the framework of which we're working is, number one, first and foremost, is an abiding relationship with Christ, one where um, we're yielding to His Spirit and we're committed to Him, we're competent in the Word, we're connected to the body of Christ, we're contributing using our gifts, we're creative in ministry, those things you continually hear us talk about at Watermark. As long as you recognize it, that... Being a great mom and a great dad is dependent upon your relationship with Christ and being fully yielded to Him. Uh, the man, you're miles down the road, miles down the road, um, and being the, the parent that the Lord calls you to be. And so, just want to start with that premise. And if some of you are here and, and you're unsure as to what it means to have a relationship with Christ, then by all means, man, grab us after this and let's talk. Because there would be nothing more important than we'd want to convey to you than what it means to have a relationship with Christ and to grow in Christ-likeness. All right? So um, I am going to turn it over to my wife, Rebecca, and um, let her tell you a little bit about our family first, and, uh, and then we'll jump into our, our presentation. So. All right. Well, as you can imagine, that wasn't awkward at all when Blake came home and said, we're speaking, and... Kyle actually asked me kind of not to speak. <laughs> so it's like, well, all right, then I guess I'm speaking. So um, anyway, but I'm thrilled to be able to do it and to have the chance to um, just kind of share where we are in our parenting journey and um, things that we've learned thus far that we could share that would be an encouragement to y'all um, to tell you a little bit about our family we have four kids. Avery, our oldest, is eight and a half, and then Gage is six and a half, our only son. Um, Ellie is four and a half, and a little girl, Wesley, who will be two in September. So basically, eight, six, four, and almost two right now. Um, and so we, um, it was interesting to think about this from the perspective of parenting four years to kindergarten, because for us, that's really Ellie, our third, and I realized in thinking through this, I don't really isolate Ellie a lot of the time because she's our third born. We're usually trying to catch up with what to do with Avery and sometimes Gage. And so it was interesting to kind of take a step back and look just real specifically at this age bracket and, um, and think through that. And I also have to say it, I think, wrecks havoc on your parenting to know that you're going to be speaking to other people about your parenting. And as long as this has been on my calendar, I feel like in the last two or three weeks, there have been more times where I've had to apologize to our kids, 
consider how I was missing the mark in disciplining them and looking at my parenting of them through the lens of like if all the people who are going to be in the class were actually witnessing this moment, (laughs) would they feel like that I'm a helpful person to hear from? And so it was um, a very refining few weeks for me, I think, with our kids. And um, just I would say I would want to communicate that we don't share with y'all today from the perspective of, oh, we've got this down, and this age is real easy. Um, There's not any age to me that's real easy. It's um, all a journey and all, um, as Blake said, all about your walk with the Lord and and how that then transfers into your family. Um, And so I thought I would start with a story just to illustrate for y'all the craziness of our home sometimes and that there is grace in all of this and that while we're going to walk through a lot of things that are great things to shoot for, there are also times where you just have to kind of roll with the punches. Um, But last week I had a hair appointment at 3 o'clock for Avery and Ellie to go get their hair cut before school, get them in, get their hair trimmed up from the summer craziness that it's become. And we had a 3 o'clock appointment. I am sitting at my computer and I look down at the clock and it's 2.48. And the kids are all upstairs playing, no one has shoes on, the hair appointment is across town. So all of a sudden I realize we're in this moment where I don't want to be late to the haircut and be disrespectful of the person's time, and yet there is no way I'm going to be able to get all four kids to obey and work together fast enough to get us there on time. So I went into the laundry room and grabbed a handful of lollipops and said, hey guys, without any complaining, it's time for the haircut and we're about to be late. And as soon as you are in the car and buckled, I will give you a lollipop. And in two minutes, they were all in the car and we were on our way down the driveway. And so that's life with lots of little kids. And and so we're going to... Moral of the story is keep lollipops. Is that what you're saying? Lollipops do come in handy. I'm not against lollipops. I would consider that its own tactic. Um, But all of that to say is you just have to give yourself grace in parenting. That I wouldn't say that's like the ideal. The ideal thing would have been for me to not be running late and not have lost track of time and had plenty of time to shepherd them through getting to the car well. The reality was we were out of time. There was no way they were going to just obey that quickly without my becoming really frustrated. So off we went with the lollipops and we were fine. Um, So anyway, I share that just to say we're going to talk about a lot of things that we're all going to aim for, but there's a lot of grace in that too. And just know that we certainly don't share it out of just having kind of palmed it and it all running smoothly all the time in our family. Um, So we're going to start just by looking at one verse and then um, looking at different types of um, family life. Um, And so our first, to begin, we're just going to talk about the fact that no one sets out to wreck their own home But yet in our homes, our choices have real consequences, um, regardless of our intentions. And in Proverbs um, 14.1, it says, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. And I think that's such an interesting verse to consider that uh, in foolishness, you might actually tear your house down with your own hands and without... um, knowing what you're doing and that even and as we look in Psalm 127 and it talks about the vanity of doing things without the Lord that in foolishness um, you can do things that are detrimental to your family and so in order to to lay the right foundation I think Psalm 127 is a great um, psalm to look at to start us off today and it says unless the Lord builds the house they labor in vain who build it Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise early, to retire late, 
to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. And what stands out to me in that is that um, in verses 1 and 2 in particular, that you could labor in vain, that you could rise early in vain, that you could stay up late in vain, and that trying to parent outside of trusting the Lord, you, that it is foolishness, and, um, and, that, and the reality that the God gives to those he loves even in their sleep, and how amazing that is. That's not how we think of parenting, that God is really filling us up and enabling us to do things. We think the more we do and the more we read and the more we try and the more activity we have going on, that that's what's going to make us a better parent. Um, and so I just love those words and just the reminder um, to consider what I'm doing and who I'm trusting in that and to um, avoid doing things that are foolish or in vain and to remember to rest in the Lord through the journey of parenting. Um, and so now we're going to look at a couple different pictures of what family life can look like. Um, there are some of these that you will probably see characteristics of your, of you, your family, your childhood family, your spouse's family um, in multiple areas. But as we go through them, I think it's helpful just to think, what was my home like growing up? What do I tend towards in our family life? What is my spouse's tendency? Um, and just and we're going to look at a couple different ways that family life can look, a couple different word pictures, and then a biblical word picture of what family life can look like. And so um, kind of remember where you are because we're going to go back and revisit them once we go through them. Um, The first one is an amusement park. And the characteristics of this family word picture is that the word no is seldom heard, Um, that there is a lack of discipline and there is no appreciation for delayed gratification. Um, and the verse here is Proverbs 22.6, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I think the key in that is being trained, is to in- interact with your child in a way that you are equipping them in how you want them to live. And, um, and thinking of the amusement park, um, when Blake and I have talked about it, I think sometimes you see that if you feel discomfort with structured just downtime in your family, if you feel like any time that's relaxed, needs to be revved up and geared up and that time when you're home with your family that that means parent-led fun is in order all of the time. Um, I think this is especially easy for dads or working moms who are away from their kids for big chunks of the day to feel like then that time when they are home that um, it needs to be this very you know interactive, the parents in charge, it's all fun and that the kids are always having a good time. Um, And I think sometimes there's kind of a false guilt that comes with that. I remember last year in the middle of some crazy times with our family, um, the Texas OU game coming on and Blake saying, is it wrong to just want to sit here and watch the Texas OU game? And just that feeling of like, well, of course it's not wrong to sit down. It's not like he's going to sit there the entire weekend and watch football. But there's a place to be in your home and your children to be able to play and enjoy themselves and have fun without you feeling like you're kind of the cruise director of their world all the time. Um, And so I think that is one word picture of what some family life looks like. Um, The next one that we're going to look at is the airport. And this one to me just feels like 
tension and busyness. Um, there's little margin, lots of preoccupation with what lies ahead, lots of anxiety, lots of stress. Um, and some of the words I put with this are just there's rushing and the pace is really fast and children don't have enough sleep or they're not getting good nutrition. They don't have unstructured time just to play. And you kind of put your kids in a no-win situation because they um, get in trouble for choices that you've made. And my trip to the haircutting salon would have been a perfect example of that, of if I had gotten really frustrated with our kids over the fact that they didn't load up in the car in a minute and a half, because really that was about all the time we had to get there on time, that was all my fault. That didn't have anything to do with them, and it would be completely unrealistic to expect that four kids ages eight and under are going to get in the car in a minute and a half um, so that we can run on time to a place that I'm actually causing us to run late to. And so um, I think sometimes you see that, though, where you you have to step back and go, are my kids in trouble because my expectations are wrong or because I'm putting them in a no-win situation and because there's not enough margin in the way our family is running right now. Um, I think sometimes you see it kind of in just forced activity where maybe your kids are miserable with what some of the things they're signed up and they're doing, but it's like we've just got to go, 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 and you're not really stopping to think about are these the best choices? Are these the things that... Um, are these choices the best for our family? And there was a point last fall where Ellie had done a little, our four-year-old had done a, um, a little ballet camp during the summer, and she had loved it. So I signed her up for ballet for the fall, and something huge must have transpired between the summer and the fall because she loved it in the summer, and she hated it in the fall and was the child who was wailing and screaming and grabbing my leg and the teacher having to grab her. And so we went through that a couple times, and... I just kind of stopped and thought about Ellie and what was going on in our family life and just thought, you know, she's not, at the time she was probably three and a half. She's not totally old enough to understand that she said she wanted to be signed up for this. Um, there's no reason we have to do this. Um, she's clearly not enjoying it. Um, there had been some things going on in our family that helped me to understand, you know, Ellie just needs more time with me. Ellie would rather be at the grocery store or at Target with me. And yet, because I feel like I want her to have this opportunity to do this with friends or have exposure to this, um, I've kind of drawn this line in the sand with her that she, we have, that we signed up for ballet and we have to do it. And um, but as I watched her and I considered kind of what her week looked like and how old she was and what she really needed from me, I came to the conclusion. Ellie really would rather be with me at Target than be in ballet, and that's okay. And although the money had been spent for the fall in ballet, um, all those Tuesday mornings had not been spent. And so I had the opportunity to go, you know what, this was my choice and I can undo it. And I, we don't have to live in this busyness and in this pace that for Ellie at her age is too much right now. And, um, and so I just told the teacher it was just too much for us, and we skipped out, and it wasn't my I didn't love to have spent the money and her not be doing it, but at the same time, I also didn't, there wasn't a reason to push that hard to have to do it. And there are times that you want to be able to step back and look and know that the pace you're pushing, pushing on your kids is more than they can handle. Um, and I think if you struggle with an inability to say no in your own life, you will struggle with that with your kids and the inability to take them out of things or choose not to do things that are too much because it's hard for you to say no. And I think that easily carries over into um, 
how you're interacting with your kids. And, um, and the last thing about the airport is I think in terms of the busyness that sometimes at least for the kids age uh, that our kids are, I tend to think of just their activities and if their activities are making us too busy. Um, and I think sometimes too you have to look at your activities on top of that and what you're doing at night and bunko or girls nights or guys nights or different things and not that there's not a place for those things but all those things affect the pace of your family and anyone who's ever tried to leave home at the exact moment your husband's returning from work and tried to pass off kids and baths and things that were half done and homework that still needed to be done it is stressful and hard to do well (laughs) and so I think some of that just being able to stop and look at the pace that you're choosing for your family is important Um, And in Luke 10, verses 40 through 42, it says, But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And I think there you just see the reminder um, of the simplicity of there's one thing that matters and that sometimes all of that busyness and distraction um, puts us in a position that prevents us from being able to focus on what really matters. Um, and the next one we're going to picture we're going to look at is the house that feels like a zoo. Um, and the characteristics here are there's no clear chain of command, there's confusion over the roles. You may not have realized that you are the parent. <laughs> um, there's little regard for boundaries. And I think this word picture is all about roles. And um, I think sometimes, especially with your oldest child, maybe when they're two and a half, you say things to them like, are you ready to take a bath now? And then all of a sudden, soon they start going, no. You're like, oh, well, this is different because for so long I said to you, are you ready to take a bath now? And I picked you up and carried you to the bath and it all worked. And um, and there's a transition where, all, where now the right thing to say is, honey, it's time to take a bath now. And um, to that as your child becomes older, that you are the parent and you have a role in that, that um, there are boundaries and roles that are different. And, um, and I remember very clearly with Avery when I would continue to ask her things and then she would start to say no to me. The quandary I found myself in of, well, but we are going to take a bath, so I'm not really sure why I asked you if you wanted to because this is the time we're taking a bath. Um, and so just become, and, and maybe that's not what you grew up with, but becoming comfortable with the fact that you are the parent and, and it is your role to assert your authority. Um, and I think also um, being comfortable with, I remember when um, Avery was probably, again, two or so, and I went to... I met another mom who had a child that was four or five years old at Chick-fil-A, and we sat down, and the mom and I were talking, and she was sharing some wisdom with me, and her daughter came up and said, Mom, I'm thirsty, and she just looked at her daughter and said, I understand, but you can wait. I'm talking to Mrs. Holmes right now, and I'll help you in a minute. And that completely floored me, because I just felt at that stage of parenting, it's like you're all about the physical needs. You're like, they need water. That's my job. I'm the mom. They're thirsty, and you feel like, got to drop everything. Got to help them with what they need. And... But looking, but it was made such an impression on me how healthy that was and the respect that the mom expected the daughter to have for her and the clear boundaries that were there. Her daughter was not going to die of thirst in Chick-fil-A if she needed to wait 10 minutes before her mom wanted to get up and get water for her. And there was respect for the daughter to learn in 
um, my needs are not immediately met and you are talking with another adult and I can wait. And um, that was so different from where we were with our kids at the time. I couldn't fathom if a child told me they were thirsty, not getting them something to drink. But, um, but it's such a natural progression, I think, and um, healthy for me to see. And, um, and I think in terms of the word picture of the zoo, that um, sometimes when you don't maybe fully em- um, embrace your role as a parent, I think sometimes dads allow parenting to be something that moms kind of give the directive on and then the dads kind of go and play their part on whatever kind of grand scheme or schedule the mom has going on. And I remember um, last year, Ellie, who was three and a half or four at the time, had a dad's night at her school. And so I had emailed Blake and made sure he had dad's night at Ellie's preschool on the calendar. And Is this a good story or a bad story? It's a good story. Okay. It's a good story. Um, and so he had it on. We didn't go over the talk, so I just want to prepare myself for what's coming. I'm talking. This is what happens when you get to talk. But I do get a microphone. I get a microphone. Um, and so he had dad's night at her school. And, you know, I had done the mom part. I had, I had put it on our calendar. I'd emailed him. He had it on his calendar. And so he came home from work on time, and she was dressed in whatever the little cowgirl theme of the night was. And kind of off they went to dad's night. And, um, but I remember when Blake came home afterwards, he said, you know, we got to Dad's night, we got there a little late because dinner took a little bit longer, and he said, but then really the whole time we were at Dad's night, I saw so many dads that I knew and people that wanted to talk to me that I kind of spent the majority of our time there having to talk to the other adults, and I didn't really feel like I got to focus on Ellie, and it was kind of over before I knew it, and really I hadn't had much time with Ellie, and it had been more just kind of her waiting as different people talked to me, and Um, He said, so, you know, when it was over, we just left, and we went across to the playground, and we played, and I taught, you know, we just hung out at the playground, and I took her to Baskin-Robbins, and we got ice cream, and and that was the passing over from, here's what my wife asked me to do because it's dad's night at the school, to I'm with my daughter, and I'm engaged in being her father, and understanding what that was feeling like to her, and what time she was wanting with Blake, and, and so I think... Um, it's important, especially in the busyness of life, when it's easy just to kind of go dad's night, check, to, um, to not li- let life become such a zoo that you're not engaged with. You are the parent. And, um, and to take those opportunities to really interact with your kids. Um, and that, there are, that everybody has a role. That even if that seems like one of those kind of dad activities that had been passed from me to him for him just to go do, that you're never... Um, exempted from the role the Lord gives you to fully be that child's parent. Um, And and it's always worth engaging with them. Um, In Colossians 3, 18 through 21, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Um, and our next one that we are, the next word picture we're going to look at is a business. And the characteristics for this family word picture is that you are aiming for success and you're about the right schools and GPAs and really in the end you're about the world's economy and what matters to the world. And I'm going to read the verse first on this one and then we'll go back and talk about it a little bit. But in Mark 10:42 through 45, it says, Jesus called them together and said, 
You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's certainly not the way the world sees greatness. Um, And so I think sometimes in a business family word picture, um, it's all about motive and understanding kind of what's pushing you. There was the, um, let's see, the airport that was all about busyness, and that could be for a lot of different reasons, including maybe your just inability to say no or stop and consider what's going on. In the business word picture, there is, could, it could look like the same busyness, but it could be driven by the motive of, I want my kids to be on track for what the world thinks greatness looks like. And, you know, it's been funny is um, Avery, our oldest, is eight and a half, and now we have, you know, a toddler at home. And just watching even the progression of toys and videos during the time that we've had a child in those younger years of how, you know, baby Einstein and smart toys and wooden toys and toys for creative play, and not that there's anything wrong with all those things, but they certainly feed on this, almost a fear that if I don't manage all of this right, my child's not going to be successful. And if my child doesn't learn their ABCs at this age, or if they don't get into this great preschool, or if they don't watch Baby Einstein and they just watch like Clifford, I mean, whatever it is that just feeds on this fear that somehow you're going to miss out on what's going to make them smart and that then kind of their world is going to fall apart because they're not going to have um, what matters to the world. And um, so I think you see it in entertainment and in toys and in things that are marketed to p- parents. Um, and I think the um, question that you have to ask yourself is, what are the things that we really plan and praise and reward? And if all of the things in your family are things that you plan and praise and reward are all things that are worldly success, then I think think you're missing another the spiritual part of the equation and there's certainly nothing wrong with caring about your child's education as we certainly do Um, but it's a question of motive and what is driving you in that and um, I remember when um, Blake and I lived in Nacogdoches and there was a baptism at our church and one of the people who got baptized was a 10 year old little boy and his dad was up in the baptismal with him and he basically said to his son in front of our entire church I don't care what you do the rest of your life. This is the proudest I will ever be of you. The, the, your walking with the Lord, your spiritual growth, your affirmation of your relationship with him, getting into Harvard wouldn't top this. Nothing, nothing that you could do tops to me your spiritual relationship with the Lord. And just how the freedom that was in that and the affirmation that was in that um, and how that's not what the world tells us parenting looks like. Um, so I think that's just another word picture for sometimes what families can look like. Um, and then we're going to look at one more before we get to a more biblical view of family. Um, this next word picture is the nursery. I love it. The first characteristic is safety first. New moms. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is, this is a real mom one here. Safety first, sheltering. Um, a tendency to prepare the path for the child instead of preparing the child for the path. Um, I think if you have ever felt like you needed to intervene in whether or not your child was in green one or green two, 
in Watermark childcare would be a great example of, you know, where you fall in this. Um, now you're meddling. I like that. <laughs> um, and I, I have good friends who have had those moments where they're like, but all her friends are in green one. I'm like, but yes, but your child is certainly, we want them to know they're capable of making new friends in green two. And there are other times we could see the friends in green one. Um, and so, but it's a, the nursery is a picture of sheltering. It's a picture of whether it's what preschool you get into, what teacher you have at the preschool, is your child's closest friend in their class or not, are they in the right room at church. It's this constant desire to manipulate and control so that the path is easy for your child and that, um, that it's comfortable for them and that it is the way that you know that they would want it to be, which is not your role as a parent to manipulate all the things around them so that it's just kind of smooth and easy all the time. Um, I think of in kindergarten, Avery had carpooled with some friends down the street, and their family is at a different stage than ours, and it was so funny because Avery's our oldest, and she's very buttoned up and likes things a certain way, and our family down the street that we're very good friends with, their youngest daughter is Avery's age. So age-wise, their kids are just older. So they would pull up in the morning to get her, and everyone wasn't correctly buckled in their seat, and they had dogs in the car, and it was just completely overwhelming to Avery and a very disconcerting way to start her day on the way to school. And I remember one morning asking my friend after she had, and this was kindergarten, so it was kind of new for me too that, you know, I wasn't even the one dropping her off, and my friend was, and I asked my friend, how did Avery do this morning, you know, when you took her to school? And she just looked at me, she goes, Rebecca, I know she doesn't love it, but she is capable of my taking her to school. And it was just such a good reminder to go, you know what, it's okay. And she doesn't have to love it. That doesn't have to feel like home to her. But it was a, such a good reminder to me to, to note, but you know what, I don't have to shelter her from that. And I don't have to manipulate that. And it's okay for her to experience that stretching and that discomfort. I know that I haven't put her in a, an unsafe situation. It's just not her first choice. And the reminder that she is capable of that, even if I know it's not comfortable for her. And there have been many times in parenting when I think I've kind of looked back to that moment standing on our sidewalk and my friend just saying, Rebecca, she is capable of having me take her to school. And how absurd it seemed that maybe I thought she wasn't capable of that and what a great reminder that it was. Um, and I think you see this too, um, and this goes a little bit beyond the specific age range we're talking about this morning, but um, Avery this year in second grade, I think, came home with all of the curse words one could learn at school. Um, we pretty much covered the gamut. She would, and At one point we told her, you know, I picked her up one day at carpool, and amongst all the parents and siblings and everything, she asked me out loud about one of them. I was like, not now. Let's talk about that later. And then I said to her, if you have one of those words that you can tell people are laughing about and you don't know it, just like write it down somewhere, ask me about it later. You don't need to tell your friends, like, I don't know that word or what does it mean. So she comes home with her homework paper, profanity, right across the top. She had written it in a place she wouldn't forget it. Next new word. Um, and I think that, um, so then we talked about, Avery, I kind of meant like on a small piece of paper and fold it up and put it in your pocket. Like, <laughs> Not on the piece of paper we turn into your teacher. <laughs> so, um, but I think in parenting, sometimes when you're the mom, you can hit the panic button at that moment and go, I wouldn't have taught her those words, and I didn't want her to know those words, and those are not good words, and, and feel a real sense of 
a violation of what you want your child to have been exposed to. And, um, and again, I think the idea of preparing the, the child for the path instead of the path for the child. Avery's in second grade. I can't control if she sits next to a boy who has an 18-year-old brother. And if I think parenting success is I can control all the variables around my kids at all times to keep them safe and sheltered, I'm going to be frustrated. And I'm, I'm going to fail because I'm not going to be able to do that. Um, and so I think some of the transition that happens as your children do spend more time away from you is having to let go of maybe when they were age two what made sense and um, being able to embrace that your, your job is not to shelter them, your job is to walk with them through it. And um, because you're not going to be able to, sheltering is not going to be a viable option the whole way through. Can I just add one thing there? And I would just say, for me, I actually, I was excited Avery wrote that word down. I was excited her friends taught her those words, believe it or not. Because she shared that with us, and then it gave us a great, a great opportunity to be a parent. And so some people's goals, Rebecca said, is, is to create that nursery where, oh, we just don't want her to learn those words. Well, guess what? She's going to learn the words. Your kids are going to learn those words. It's just going to happen. And so you, have, you either see that as, oh, man, this is such a bad world, and my poor child, and you either panic, okay, and you retreat, and then you try to just block, block, block so your kid doesn't go into green too, okay? <laughs> or what you do is you, you go, this is a great opportunity, a great opportunity to help my child better understand what your words are appropriate, what words aren't appropriate. Um, and, and dad, it's just a, particularly what I would say to you is it's a great challenge to you to be the father. And, um, you know, there, moms tend, this is driving me crazy, um, moms tend to play the role of nursery. It's just, that's the way God designed them. But God designed for there to be a mom and a dad. And whereas the mom is trying by nature to put her wing around the, the child, the, the dad usually is the one who's imploring the child to go, you can do it, jump into the pool. You know, usually if you take your kids swimming, it's mom over there is putting on the suntan lotion, right? Okay, and it's dad's going, blow it off. Come on, jump in, jump in, and already in the pool. And that's just the way it is. Mom's putting on the suntan lotion so we don't get a sunburn, and Dad is already about the adventure. Jump in, let's get over the fear of getting wet. And what I would say about the nursery is, is that, um, man, when that nursery is invaded by profanity, that nursery is invaded by a bad diagnosis, that nursery is invaded by the neighbor down the street who doesn't know the Lord or parents differently than you, you do, that's not the time to hit the panic button and withdrawal. It's the opportunity um, to be the parent. And so and I specifically say that to the dads. It's a chance to come alongside your wife, remind your wife that the child's not going to die, okay, learn the cuss word, and shepherd the child's heart through that. Does that make sense? So. And um, the verse that we have here is Genesis 12.1. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. And I just love that because it's bold and it's unknown and it's not safe and it, it's living for sure outside the nursery. And, um, and I think that's the way the Lord calls us to be able to live. Um, and so this last word picture is um, a more biblical um, word picture of the family, and it's the family as an embassy. And the characteristics here are that you're aiming for greatness, that you have an eternal perspective, 
and that you are engaged in God's economy. And um, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And here I just wrote down a list of words that, to me, um, embody this word picture and um, that are unique to this picture versus the other pictures we've looked at. And they're things like risk, failure, perseverance, Courage, compassion, faith, sacrifice, boldness, wisdom, and empathy. And I think that picture, that's a family worth fighting for. That's a family worth committing to have your family be like that and to be the things that, to strive for the things that matter in God's economy and that are eternal and that um, will allow your children to understand greatness from a biblical perspective. Um, And so now just to kind of reflect, as you've listened to them, we're going to do just a show of hands to think through um, your family growing up, what your tendency is. Well, and we'll just do those two. So what your family was growing up and what you think you tend to the most in these different word pictures. And so I'm going to... Go th- just remind you of what they are. There's the amusement park where life is always fun. There's the airport where life is always busy. There's the zoo where all of the roles are out of out of whack. There's a business where we are all our motive is success in the world's eyes. And there's the nursery where it's safety first. And so, um, and some of you may say that your home growing up was like an embassy and was very um, grounded and Christ focused. So. Who would say that growing up, their home looked like the amusement park? Got some. Or the airport. Or the zoo. The business. They're always, last time we talked through this, there were a lot of North Dallas, man. It's business. Um, Or the nursery. Okay, and now where would you, or and the embassy. Who would say that's how they would describe That's a blessing. Um, And now if you had to say, and we're going to leave out the embassy on this one, but if you had to say where you you feel like your parenting, um, where you tend to struggle, which word picture that is not the goal tends to be the one that's most tempting to you or that you find yourself most caught in, um, which of you would say that the amusement park is the one that tends to that you tend to gravitate towards. Um, and what about the airport where life is busy? Mm-hmm. Uh, the zoo. Um, business where we're successful. And now I'm going to get my pages mixed up. Um, the nursery. It's all the moms. Lots of moms. <laughs> um, And I think that's helpful just to understand, even though they are just word pictures, it's just helpful to understand where your tendency is to go off track and where your tendency is to value not what the Lord values, but to either parent out of how you were parented or parent out of of things that are other than what the Lord would have you focus on. And so I think those pictures are helpful for us to be able to kind of see our family in a different light. Um, And so... Now we're going to move on and um, 
The next slide I love because it just talks about the biblical goal of parenting. And it says your primary responsibility as a parent is to model a life of full devotion to Jesus Christ such that your children will find it easy to believe that God loves him and that his way is the best way. Um, And in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit at your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And I just love the picture of that. Basically, you should be teaching and interacting with your kids all the time. When you sit down, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise up. That as life happens and those and life and things invade your family life and there are teaching moments with your kids or hard times in your family, that you are walking with your kids through that and engaging with them. Um, And then um, we're going to read Psalm 78 as well. And it says, Listen, O people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. But we will not conceal them from our children, but tell to the generations to come to the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to our children, that the generation might might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. And I just think those words are encouraging and affirming for um, God's intention for families and, um, and the importance to him of our passing down um, to our children the faithfulness of the Lord and, um, and that they would know his, his wondrous works and his mighty ways and the responsibility that that is for us. Um, and so, and I'm going to skip two slides, but... Um, the next thing we're going to look at is just speaking for a moment just about discipline. Um, two things that every child must understand. One is that they are loved by God and you. And two, that they are under your God-given authority. Um, this is one I feel like I explain a lot to our four-year-old right now because she has a lot of, well, you're just bossing me and you're just telling me what to do and now you need to apologize to me because you sent me to time out and... All sorts of <laughs> all sorts of things. <laughs> all sorts of things where she is seems certain that we should be on equal footing and where I continue to have to remind her this is the job God gives moms and dads. And um, even our second grader who likes to remind me when I tell her that I don't like the tone of her voice, well you use that tone with me sometimes. Well, yes, sometimes I do. It doesn't mean I should and God still wants me to be your parent and teach you even though I'm not perfect and um, so we, I feel like the whole idea of helping your children understand that it is the job that God gives moms and dads to discipline them, um, that's a frequent conversation in our house right now. Um, and in Ephesians 6, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, one thing that's helped us is to have a, a definition for obedience in our family. And for us, the way we've explained that to our kids is all the way, right away, and with a good attitude. Um, and it helps to be able to point out, like, okay, well, you obeyed right away, but not at all with a good attitude. And um, to be able to break that down with them, it really helped me because I think we talked about this a lot with Avery and Gage at certain points. And then in preparing for this, I sat down and I asked Ellie, Ellie, do you know what obedience means? And it was like, no, I haven't spent as much time helping her understand and helping quantify with her what I'm expecting of her when I say I need that she is disobeying. What does that mean? and being able to be more specific for her. Um, and I think you can look at the model of the Lord's discipline in our lives. Um, and the Lord's discipline is always motiv- motivated by love. It's proof that we are his children. Uh, it always has our best interests in mind. It doesn't always look the same. It hurts. Um, and it's purposeful. And, um, and I'm just realizing, too, right now, there are going to be times where your notes now are going to start to diverge from the slides, and that's because of my last few, that's because of my time last night being able to finish up preparing for today. So I apologize that you're going to have to kind of go off to the side on your notes. Um, but I think that, um, but all of those things, looking, slowing down and looking back through them, it's helpful to understand the Lord's discipline to us and that we do have a model for how to discipline our kids. And it is the job that God gives moms and dads um, to discipline your children, even at the times where they don't think that's your role. Um, And so now we're going to just go through and look at a little bit more specifically just a few discipline kind of tips and ideas and uh, refer back to what Blake said in the beginning, that these are just small, small ideas. Um, And without the context of your walking with the Lord, they're not going to be all that helpful. They'll be helpful for a season, and then they won't work anymore, and then you'll need to go back to the drawing board. (laughs) Let me say this before Rebecca moves on, and and that is what was um, stated just a second ago, that um, what every child must understand, that they're loved by God and by you. And I just particularly want to talk to the dads. I don't know how many of you grew up with a father who would embrace you, literally grab you, hug you, kiss you, and tell them they loved you. Um, But I was fortunate enough uh, to have a dad who to this day does that for me. And I have um, a lot of friends who have never heard the words, I love you, from their fathers, ever. Never been hugged, don't remember an embrace. And somewhere along the way... um, maybe watching too many rainbow movies, uh, men have bought into the lie that it's not necessary for a father to hug, love, and embrace their, their son or their daughter. And, um, and what I do every single day, multiple times a day, every chance I get, even as some of my kids get older and start to push away, you know, because they're too cool for school, is, is physically... I embrace them, love them, kiss them, tell them I love them. Tell them I love them. Tell them I'm proud of them. And every night before they go to bed, every single night, I tell my kids, I have since Avery was day one, that her mom, her dad, and Jesus love her. Every night. 
And every single night when I pray for them, I tell my kids that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And I walk through John 3.16. And so I just, and I repeat it. I repeat it over and over. And now it's Wesley, who's two. She kind of, when I tuck her in, she kind of looks at me. For God so loved the world, he gives one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And when I share that with her, she kind of sits there and does this, you know, like she's expecting it. And I just continue to repeat to her, Wesley, you're loved by your mom, you're loved by your daddy, most of all, you're loved by Jesus. And I just say a short prayer. Father, I pray that more than anything in this whole world, my prayer is that my kids come to know you from a young age. That's, that is my greatest prayer. I, I could care less if they go to Harvard. I really, I really could care less. Or make six figures or whatever it is you fill in the blank. Is, is that, apart from Christ, it's just hollow. It just is. And I truly believe that. And so, um, all those things are great. I hope they make 20 figures. I hope they go to somewhere better than Harvard. But if they do that apart from Christ, it's just it's, it's worthless to me. And so, um, it, it's very simple as a dad. It's very simple to tell your kids you love them. And it's very simple as a dad um, to give them a hug and give them a kiss. Boy or girl. And do it from a young age. And so, that's one of your primary responsibilities. And I've always said that I hope that I love my kids in such a way as it is easy for them to understand that God loves them. And when they hear the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, they don't cringe because they think synonymously of a Father in heaven and it's been perverted or warped or damaged by their perception of what Father means because of how I've parented them. I hope that when they hear Father, they go, I, I get that. I get that. I, I don't have a perfect dad, but I have a dad who's been a daddy to me and he loves me. And so... It, it doesn't make me cringe when I say, Our Father who art in heaven. Does that make sense? So, that is one of your greatest responsibilities, is just to continue to, and it's such an easy thing as you tuck your kids in at night, is just to remind them of God's love for them and that you love them and how important that is. Um, okay, so we're going to go through just several things and we'll go through them quickly, um, just about doing your part when it comes to discipline. Um, the first thing I think is perspective, and that just that you're raising your kids and God is still raising you. You know, it's just as hard for you to be a parent as it is for them to be a kid and to not lose sight of the fact that um, it's a process for both of you. Um, to commit to consistency and just to be in the game, to know that this is, this is what it means to be a parent, day in and day out, hour in, hour out, just through each day. Um, Next would be just to picture the long-term consequences and results. And we had a definite moment like this. We, I took the kids to go see my parents this summer for four days without Blake, and we were probably about three days into our trip. And it was lots of fun, but it's tiring being the only parent with four kids and on the road. And, um, and we went through the Burger King drive through and got everybody happy meals and got home and... So Avery, Gage, and Ellie all got a happy meal. We get home. Of course, they could care less about the food. When we get home, they're tearing through the bags looking for the happy meal toys. And sure enough, like one of them is so cool. And it's this like character that they love, and everyone's just totally taken with this one happy meal toy. And the other two are these really crummy, like terrible stuffed animals. I mean, they don't do anything. They're not cool. It's kind of ugly. I mean, there's nothing. It's not soft. There's nothing redeeming about it. And so... 
Ellie being the sweet third child who just probably knows it's inevitable, there's no way she's going to land the cool toy, just goes ahead and takes one of the crummy stuffed animals and is done with it. And then Avery and Gage have this real moment of like, who's going to get the cool toy? And I can't remember exactly how it happened. Maybe it was because Gage ordered something different and the cool toy had been in his bag. But somehow it became clear that the cool toy belonged to Gage. And Avery could not get over it. And she was so mad about having the crummy toy and but look how cool Gage's toy is and I never get the cool toy and this always happens and and I found myself being uncomfortable with how disappointed she was and just realize yeah you did get the raw end of the deal his toy is way cooler and I just felt so I felt bad for how disappointed she was I hated to see her upset I knew her toy was a total dud and no fun. Nursery, nursery, nursery. Yes. And so I had this moment where I'm starting to think in my head, just don't unwrap it and we can exchange it. Because, I mean, we're in Nacogdoches in East Texas. This is where my parents live. There's nothing to do. It takes two minutes to drive there and back. It'd be very easy. I could just don't unwrap it. And later we can, you know, when we're out, we'll just zip through and tell them we didn't like this one and get another one. And then I have this moment where I think, is this what I want? A child who can't cope with a bad Happy Meal toy? I mean, is this my goal in parenting, to raise a child who is not capable of dealing with the disappointment of the dud Happy Meal toy? And, and, it, and so I'm like, forget it. It's yours. I mean, we're, we're, not, we're not switching it out. We're not doing anything. That is your toy. And, but just in those moments of being able to look down the road and go, it's not just this moment. It's not just that it does seem unfair, and I'm sorry Gage got the cool toy and you hate yours, and I know I could change it if I wanted to. It would not be hard or expensive or anything for me to make it right and for me to make you feel better. That would be pretty easy to do. But at the end of that, I'm raising a child who can't cope with the disappointment of a Happy Meal toy they don't like. And that was such a terrifying thought that it was like, well, it's for sure your toy <laughs> because we're not switching. Once I had that thought, it was over. Um, but sometimes it helps to be able to just kind of think down the line a little bit. Um, we have about five minutes. So, well, and then it's time to break up. We go till 1245. Um, next is to know each child's hot spots and the areas you consistently have trouble with. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute in an exercise we're going to do. Um, and then be able to identify underlying issues and condense into kid-friendly principles. Some of the things we say around our house a lot, do you care more about the we or your sister? Condense down for kids. Um, I won't do for you what I know you can do for yourself. When you're learning something that's new, you get easily frustrated and want to quit. When you're angry, you start to say things that are untrue. Just being able to distill down what's happening with your kids and being able to tell it to them in words that they can understand. Um, being able to identify new skills they're developing versus defiance or disobedience. Part of that's just empathy, understanding things from your kid's perspective and not being too quick to quantify everything that is difficult for you as disobedience on their part. Um, pick your battles carefully and win them. And along with that, if, if your kids are asking you something that you're kind of 50-50 on and you'll eventually say yes, just say yes to begin with. Don't let them throw the fit and then say yes. Um, so say yes right off the bat if you're willing to say yes, and if you're going to say no, then you're in it, and you're in it to win it, and, um, and you can't, can't back down. Um, the next one is one more ride, um, and it goes to the point of managing your energy well. And 
when we took our kids to Disney World several years ago, the first couple days were so exhausting, and I just couldn't wait to get home. I was so tired. I was pregnant with Gage. Avery was 18 months old. We're on this huge family trip, and but this is such a beating. I'm walking around this park all day. It's hot, and I'm pregnant, and I don't know if Avery is even having a good time at this point. It was just very overwhelming. But what we realized was we would have fun in the parks and do all these things, and then we think, oh, we've got time for one more ride, and then we would go do that one more ride. But then we had to walk across the park to get out, and then we had to return the stroller, and then we had to get on the bus, and then we had to get on the monorail, and then we had to make our way back through the hotel, and then we had to get cleaned up for dinner. And then there was so much more left that we weren't anticipating And so we started having more success on our trip when at whatever point we felt like we had one more ride left in us, that was the time to leave. Because the energy we thought we were going to spend on that one last ride, we needed that to get home well. And I think there are a lot of times in parenting where you push it too far and everything's going well, but then all of a sudden you've used up all your energy and you can't get home well and you can't get the kids to bed well and you can't make it through dinner well because you went one ride too many and then you pay for it. And you need to know things that drive you crazy and set your kids up for success in those areas, whether it's manners or timeliness. Um, Just know what your hot spots are and make sure to help them succeed there. Um, Practice obedience at home, which is a lot the same as previewing things before a new situation. Like when I took all four kids to get their hair cut or two of them's hair cut, at the adult hair salon. We talked on the way there about, you know what, the other mommies there probably have a babysitter at home with their kids right now. So we are not going to be loud, and we want them to be able to enjoy their haircut. And um, it's not it's probably not going to be fun to you. You cannot run. You cannot scream. And we just talked through, before we were in the middle of it, what the expectations were for being there. And whether that's eating out or going to, you know, at the holidays to ex- see extended family or Whatever it is, just giving your kids before you're in the throes of it an idea of what your expectation is for their behavior. Um, And then lastly, just ask friends and acquaintances for help. Um, And then, of course, there are a million different kind of methods and ideas of tactically how to discipline your kids. You can use natural consequences. You can remove privileges, loss of reward, timeout, spanking. And in this area, I think talking with your friends, perusing parenting books um, can all be very helpful to know kind of tactically with each kid what things will work and what things fit your family. Because each child is very, very different. So um, you have to have different tactics for for each kid, right, in in disciplining them. And so um, there's... One child that I will spank every opportunity that I get, and there's other, there's another who I don't spank, but just a stern word is is just as devastating to them. And so, um, you know, one size doesn't fit all in that. And just that's where you just got to know your child, and um, and understand what, what what gets their attention. And, so. and I think especially in these um, early years, like one of the things when we looked at the model of the Lord's discipline is that it hurts and it's purposeful, um, is don't be afraid to discipline your kids. You're not doing them any favors if you kind of are halfway disciplining them in a way that really doesn't affect them. They're kind of like, oh, okay, discipline's over. Um, We had a moment this year where one of our kids very deliberately took a dollar off the kitchen counter and then lied about it. And we, it's 
way too long of a story to go into, but we were 100% certain the dollar had been stolen and the person who took it both stole and lied. And um, Six Flags family night was coming up and all the kids, were, the big kids were supposed to get to go with Blake. And the consequence for the child who lied and stole um, was being unable to go to Six Flags family night. And, and it was, it hurt. And it was noticed, and but as uh, and it was hard for us. I mean, you hate to have to do that to your child. But as Blake and I talked about it and said, you know, but if we could teach the lesson on what a huge deal it is that you bald-faced lied to me multiple times over a 24-hour period about this, and you stole, if the if we could make it that the cost of that mistake was Six Flags Family Night sold, because. There are going to be times down the road where the cost of those behaviors gets greater and greater and greater. And if we can learn it now, um, it's no fun to have to keep it, not let someone go to Six Flags Family Night. But, boy, it's a low cost compared to what that can turn into. And so don't be afraid to make the discipline hurt. And it, it will be hurt for you, too, sometimes to carry it out. But um, you want their attention. You want them to not like it. It's not just kind of a going through the motions, okay, check, I responded, and we disciplined. Um, they should not like it. Um, so, um, fellas, sometimes, and, and moms out there, God bless you, um, when you spank, it just doesn't hurt that bad. So, um, dads... That's where maybe you will be more willing to actually use your wrist, right? And, um, and, and allow that little pop to, to, to put a little uh, hurt at the end of that little spanking stick or whatever you're using. And, you know, that sounds probably stunning to some of you, like, oh, wow, make it hurt. And, you know, I would challenge you, look at, look, again, look at how the Lord disciplines his kids. Look at how the Lord disciplines you. Look at Hebrews 13. Now, God disciplines us because he loves us. Now, obviously, and I'm assuming you all understand, abuse is far different than discipline. Okay? But Six Flags, Six Flags Family Night was a great way to send home a message to one of our children. And the others who knew what had happened. Who knew? That the one who was not going did not get to go because of lying. And everyone got the message. And so... It was hard, but it was definitely a moment where discipline was really effective. And so you just have to be willing to go there, though, and don't be afraid of doing something that um, you're like, oh, this seems mean. Um, But the reality is those consequences for those actions only continue to grow. So if you can think of meaningful consequences at age four, um, your child is going to be better off for that. Um, And then the next slide just talks about, really, as I thought through it, the difference between disciplining and teaching. And just the admonition not to let all of your parenting be reactive discipline, but take time to proactively teach your children. Um, And as we've talked about, the goal in parenting is not always protection. That's not always possible or wise. um, That you want to embrace your chance to walk with your child through challenges, through hurts, through fears, and um, take that opportunity to help your child discover that God is present and sufficient. And, and so here I would just say you don't, although discipline certainly has its place, don't neglect being proactive and teaching them and talking with things that are hard for them or that they're working through or things that are affecting your family that are hard. Um, and, um, and that is 
and I think that part of parenting becomes even more important and in some ways easier as your child gets older and especially as they learn to read and write there it gets easier and easier to interact with them on a teaching level that you can't necessarily do with a two-year-old but in the four years to kindergarten age you're kind of in a transitionary stage from it being mostly disciplined to wanting to really work towards and um, being just as proactive in teaching them um, and the next slide I um, is called Parenting with Freedom. And we've talked about it some, um, just that what's most primary is your relationship with the Lord, that there are no formulas and no shortcuts, um, that it's, parenting is a journey that you and your family walk daily with the Lord. Um, and I think that gives you freedom from kind of a narrow, one-way thinking of like there's only one way to parent a child. It has to be this book or this method or this class or this system. And, um, but yet that's not a free pass. It's a greater responsibility because now the responsibility is on you to seek the Lord, to depend on him, and to allow him to lead you as you parent, not just to say, well, I kind of get to do it however I want to. Um, but my encouragement to you would be that that's better than any book, that relying on the Lord and his word and searching the scriptures is better than any parenting book um, that you would ever find. And I think um, probably most of you know this about our family, but our four-year-old son, Gage, was diagnosed with cancer when I was um, pregnant with our fourth child. So our oldest, Avery, was six, Gage was four, Ellie was two, and I was six months pregnant with our fourth. Um, and that was has been quite the journey for our family in many, many ways. Um, and I think there were moments in that where I felt like I don't know how to parent in this. I don't know. I don't know how to respond to my child being so sick. I don't know how to respond to all the emotion that I see the the girls going through, to the absence I feel from them, to the jealousy they feel towards all the attention he gets, um, and ongoing. Um, even our family this week, this is a week where Gage is on steroids, which is a medication that he has to do every four weeks or so, which puts makes him more emotional and sleep-deprived and different things that has to change how we parent him. And what our expectations are and how we parent the girls and bring all of kind of the cancer emotion and tension to the forefront in our family life. Um, and in those moments, I'm so comforted that even though there's not a book out there that is about how to parent four young children through one, when one child has cancer, um, that when I read God's word, it addresses the issues that we face. And um, and that seeking him and relying on him, even though I think there have been times where, um, and I think this is why it's so important your walk with the Lord, because there have been times in our journey with Gage that spiritually have been so difficult for me, where it's like it's hard to want to teach them to pray if I feel conflicted about how God answers prayers. And it's hard to teach them that God is good when I am disappointed with the path that we're on. And it's hard to teach them that God is trustworthy if I am doubting that I like where our family is right now and working through that. And all of those things as you experience life, and hopefully it won't be something as dramatic as four kids and one of them with cancer, but as you experience life and whether it's financial problems or marital problems or problems in your extended family, 
um, health of people that you love and care about, as your spiritual life is impacted, your parenting is impacted. And, um, and so it matters greatly how you walk with the Lord and your ability to continue to be motivated and share truth with your kids. Um, and it's such a comfort to me that I, I'm not at a loss just because when I go to the Christian bookstore, there's no book about my specific situation. God knows, and he knows our needs, and his word is all is sufficient um, for the challenges we face in parenting. And so although your challenges may be different than ours, I think it is so, while sometimes it seems like the simplicity of there being like a one book with ten easy steps would be great, um, at this point our family would be totally off the track of whatever those ten easy steps would be, and they would not apply, and it would be meaningless to us. And so I'm so um, thankful that that's not how parenting works. Um, but it is a huge responsibility to walk with the Lord and depend on him in your parenting. Um, and so this last slide, in light of that, is uh, just an encouragement to use Scripture when you discipline your kids. Because just as there is no parenting book that's this quick fix, you want to model that and teach your kids that, that when you encounter things in life, Scripture has answers. God knows. He addresses what happens in life in his Bible. Um, and so with that, you can consider your child's behavior and attitude in a spiritual context. Um, you can use things like a Bible concordance, which is in the back of your Bible, or they can come separately. You could just go to BibleGateway.com and search for things. Um, there's a book that I have up here called Parenting with Scripture that's helpful. Um, you can use kind of devotional books that give you teaching moments that have scripture built into them to help you learn how to transition from a situation to a scripture and model that for your kids. Um, and then I would say in terms of just parenting books in general is you just have to practice discernment. And some you'll find some things that are helpful in some and some things you disagree with in others. Um, but your field guide and your place to go is the Bible. And um, in I just can't emphasize that enough. Um, and there are plenty of times when our kids will struggle with patience or um, their words or different things. Well, I'll just get on Bible Gateway and just start typing in patience. Or maybe I can remember a fragment of a verse that I know applies and type it in and look for it and just be able to share with them um, what these verses mean and how they apply to how we're treating each other. And so we have kind of an exercise for you all to go through. It's the sheet that you got when you walked in. Um, and it looks like this, and it's a grid. And all you have to do, and we're going to go through it. We're going to take a little bit of time here to do it because I told Blake when we were preparing for this, the hard thing about these sort of things to me is you come and you hear all this, and you think a little bit about your kids, but then it's like then you leave and you go downstairs and you pick them up and eat lunch, and then the world just kind of continues, and you don't have a have a moment to really stop and consider specifically um, how you could think through what you've heard to apply it to your family. And so we certainly aren't going to have enough time to do it completely right now, but I would still love for us to take a few moments to do that. And so individually, not as couples, just write down your kids' names. And I put age, not like you don't know your kids' age, but it was helpful for me to think about this week that, you know what, Ellie is only four, and I parent a lot on the level of an eight- and six-year-old. And so it's helpful to me to kind of be able to separate how old each of them are and make sure that I am um, considering that and how I interact with them. Um, and so then you could just think of, like, kind of one or two things. What are the things that that child is having the hardest time with? 
Um, my part is what are you doing to contribute to that? Is there something that you could change either in your expectation or your interaction that's contributing to it? Um, and then what it is you would desire to see instead of that struggle? Um, and then what you think the heart issue is in your child. Is it selfishness? Is it worry? Is it fear? And here you want to be able to think of it in scriptural, biblical terms if you can. Um, and then next is applicable verses that would relate to the issue that you're talking about. And again, it's great to be able to get on like Bible Gateway and kind of search around and think through that and, or flip through your Bible. Um, and then two different things, how to teach your child how to grow in that area and how to discipline them when, when they are having a hard time in that area. And I think those are two different things, how to proactively approach the situation with them and then what to do when they fall short in that.